0: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week's episode of Meat and 3 is inspired by the re-emergence of Cicada Brood 10. We're talking all about insects.
1: Some people are calling crickets the gateway bug because that's a great introduction to what edible insects is all about. So, we
0: found detectable levels of cesium 137 in 68 of 122 total honey samples that we had. Ah, what is that? Is it tarantula? No, what is it? <laughs> it's a tarantula. <laughs> oh, and they're going to eat it? No, 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 no. Listen to Meat in Three wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 150 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I hope everyone is listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today, that intersection is happening inside your body. You know, it has never been more important or we've never been more interested in having healthy bodies. You know, certainly nutrition and diets and performance and biohacking have all been trends on the rise over the past 10 years. Um, we talk about so many different types of diet, so many different types of food. How does your body metabolize things? Do you have allergies? Um, are you doing an anti-inflammatory or an elimination diet? Are you keto there's a lot of stuff out there, and over the course of the past year and a half with the global pandemic, people are hyper-focused on their health. So today we have a really interesting, um, a very interesting company. It's called Geno Palette, and it takes your personal, very unique DNA analysis and recommends what you should and should not be eating based on that Um fascinating idea. With us today, we have Dr. Sherry Zhang, who is one of the uh, founders and CEO of Palette. Sherry, thank you for joining us this morning. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? I am great. Um, and I'm so curious to really um, get into the details of what Geno palette does and how you got there. Um, of course, we all know about DNA. We all know about nutrition. Um, we all know about the basic ideas of how our body digests and metabolizes things. Um, it's a little bit mysterious, you know, how um, it turns into muscle, strength, fat, and all those types of things. There's a lot of misinformation out there, especially in the you know, sort of diet and fitness arena. I think a lot of people are getting their information off of Instagram these days, which may or may not be a good idea. <laughs> um, but let's go back to the beginning of your story. Um, you are a molecular biologist and you were studying obesity using DNA screening way back when.
1: That's that's absolutely right. So I... Um... Maybe back up a little. I was grown up as a curious kid, um, loved life, just love anything with life. And, you know, I started off uh, early on as an uh, artist, but later on kind of pursuing a scientist career happily. So I ended up um, learning uh, microbiology. Um, I'm sure a lot of people now heard a lot about microbiome. You know, probiotics and all that. So I actually started my career in biology with microbiology. It was fascinating because there's there, you know, bacteria and fungi. There's so many species around us, in us, and and then later I pursued a Ph.D. at Marquette University in in the U.S. So I grew up in uh, northern Asia and then came here um, to pursue my graduate school and got my PhD degree in molecular biology. And soon after that, got a research opportunity to pursue a a scientist career at uh, one one of the most prestigious schools uh, or centers studying obesity, and um, specifically metabolic syndrome, which is affecting 30% of American adults today and also globally. It's a combination of clinical conditions, um, including obesity, central obesity mostly, and hypertension, uh, insulin resistance leading up to pre diabetic or diabetes status, and inflammation. So it's very common, it's all nutrition related or malnutrition caused. So I was studying uh, that using the most state of art DNA technologies. This is not only. You know, the primary DNA sequence that we all heard about, uh, we actually went um, above and beyond using something called epigenomic, that is a link between your genes and your environment. You know, when we eat, when we exercise, there's some modifications that will happen throughout your genome. So I study kind of all layers from DNA to the RNA to proteins and, you know, the mechanistic mechanistic reasons that underlying obesity and metabolic syndrome. So that's really the, my um, research background led to the founding of this concept where I know um, how genomic uh, works and how unique, beautifully unique we all are, right? We observe that, you know, everybody looks different, everybody um, think differently, and everybody digests the same food with, you know, very different health outcomes. So that's really what my thesis was focusing on. The problem I observed as a scientist and also as just you know a, a person wants to age and elegantly, you know, be healthy all the time and productive. Uh, also became a young uh, a new mother. This is many years ago. And I wanted to give the best nutrition to my my child because I knew nutrition is the gateway to health. Um, but there's no um, scientific way to provide that in an accessible manner. So that's really kind of the the pain point drove me out of my comfort zone as a research scientist and professor uh, at a medical college and went out to funding GenoPallet that is today to help everybody. You know, we provide a consumer solution to help everybody eat healthy based on their very unique genomic DNA blueprint for nutrition. So there is so much information
2: in there that we're going to sort of go back and and walk through it um, as a... Uh, research scientist in the field, so much of this information is probably second nature to you. But let's go back to um, what you were saying initially about studying molecular biology and studying the basic genetic pattern and then starting to study the individual um, genetics of each person. Um, You know, we think about on the one hand, human bodies all being very similar. We all kind of function the same way. It's the same systems. It's the same process. Um, and in many ways, we're extremely similar from one person to the next. But then there is that layer of the very, very unique, um, DNA that's, you know, it's the idea of the fingerprint, each person being different. So walk us through a little bit what the, um, what the basic DNA chain is that everyone shares, and then tell us what some of the differences are that you discover when you do a specific DNA test for a person.
1: Absolutely. That's a a great topic. So, Jennifer, you and I are born with uh, 3.2 billion letters in each of our cells that most of the cells have a, a nuclei, some, some like a blood cell. Very rarely, they don't have an have DNA in there, but usually they do. So if you it's a huge amount of data, if you imagine that. 3.2 billion letters you know, carried in that entity of chromosomes. That's the, the the material carry all your genomic DNA in digital information. Um, and that's every cell. You have, you know, 2.7 trillions of cells. So we did some fun calculation. If you line up all this um, DNA in your body. Uh, like end to end, we can go to the sun and have seven and a half round trips back and forth. So that's, yeah, that's that long. And imagine that it's all kind of packed uh, so beautifully in your body, right? We're about, you know, five to six feet tall. And so it's just wonderfully amazing and smart. And, Now, um, thanks to the availability of the human genome reference that was uh, started in 1990, cost the society globally uh, $2.7 billion, and it took us about 13 years to finish. But once it's finished, it just uh, completely changed how we approach personal medicine, and now they call it a precision medicine because we can really precisely look at look at, look at the difference and the similarities among people. That's um, a
2: lot, a lot of information. That, <laughs> I mean, it's kind is, of staggering um, to is. think about how much information is in there, and that information is um, what is responsible for every single thing that your body does. Right?
1: Correct. From guys every- you know, yeah, it's really. Uh, like everything is building a mansion, right? Building a building, uh, cells and body is no different than that. It's a we have a master design kind of a blueprint. The the cells follow the genes, right? That's the blueprint to make uh, proteins. Uh, the proteins will make your structures of your cells, your hairs, and so on and also de- define those kind of like a software right the biological traits and you have blue eyes and brown eyes do you like bitter foods or sweet foods do you stress eating a lot uh, and when you're stressed you know so all these other intangible information are all embedded in your genomic dna for for nutrition metabolism and and diseases if if something goes wrong so uh, we
2: we really don't understand, you know, just the average person like myself, we really don't understand um, exactly how all the body processes work. And we'll, we'll talk about just nutrition and health, um, you know, weight, obesity, all those kinds of things. You know, I don't, know that people think about their ability to, you know, gain weight or lose weight, um, get rid of body fat, um, build muscle, um, have a six pack of abs, uh, be healthy, have energy, have great skin. You know, we think about those things as as being something that we can very, uh, that we can manipulate fairly easily based on exercise and diet. But we don't think about the color of our eyes, or how how tall we are, or the size of our feet, or the size of our hands, or, you know, how big our ears are. There are some things that our bodies do like that, like the physical traits, where we would never think that we could, oh, read an article in a magazine and and make a change to that, because that's simply how our body is built. Um, Are Are these nutritional and, you know, metabolic process and digestive process and all those things... Do, do they have the same, um, the same sort of like permanence or the same um, pre-established uh, presentation or way that they work, the same way we would have an eye color or, you know, a hand size? Is it as easily manipulable or do, you know, is, it, is our DNA just sort of creating a system and, and we don't have that quite as much control over it as we think?
1: Yeah, it's a loaded question there, but it's <laughs> a great serious question. I'll try to kind of dissect that layer by layer. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, the, the short answer is yes. It's very similar to what we can see, right? You know, the height and it runs in the family. So so as a geneticist, um, after I got my PhD, I was studying um, populational genomics uh, in using human DNA, as I uh, shared earlier. So it's um, there's a concept called heritability. Heritability is a geneticist's um, powerful tool to measure of a variance in any trait, for example, height. How much of it is determined by the variation among people, by the way, is determined by genetic factor or determined by environmental ones, right? So it's a very fairly accurate to measure any traits so the traits that people can observe like you know eye color but there is a lot of traits like how much uh, capacity for example i have for digest uh, the lactose in my milk right i can i can tell i cannot see i can touch it um, so that can be uh, measured by heritability right so that gives us a ballpark of for example for obesity Very early on, now we have the answer. But very early on, my field started to ask, okay, how much of the variability from person to person for getting a high BMI, which is a proxy for obesity, as you probably know, is determined by genetic factors? And we determined, um, I published um, quite a few uh, line of work in in, on the topic. in uh, obesity journal, we measured in our population of mostly Northern European descent that uh, obesity or BMI is about more than thirty-eight percent heritable. So that means that the thirty—if you look at a pie for obesity, more than th- uh, one-third of that is determined by genetic factors, and we kind of observe that right in family that runs. If you have a o- or obesity is runs in the family sometimes. But it also the also means the 62% in that particular study is not determined by genetic. It's environmental. So that's how you know your genes are interacting with your foods, right? So I want to tie back into you know the, element, the component of food for life. I always call food is the editor of our gene expression, right? Uh, it actually shaped our ancestry. When your ancestors and, and versus mine, when they are trying to survive their environment over the past two point five million years, um, they interact directly with their environment through foods and you know beverage and or, or, or drinks and first, and then it's very um, it's a daily, it's a very frequent intervention, right? That's the only thing you take into your body so frequently. That's why we consider food as a medicine and now you are born with your specific kind of product if you may from all these um, great evolution from your own uh, combination of ancestry for nutrition you are kind of like a, a car right whether you're a Toyota or a Chevy or a, a truck you have a different build You have a different capacity to metabolize certain uh, nutrients or substance. In my uh, example, my ancestors have been living on rice for all these years. We kept uh, the ancient version of the lactase genes, which will be turned off after breastfeeding because our cells are super smart they kind of control our energy flow in the energy efficiency program, right? So if you don't need it, they'll turn it off. Um, Usually after five years old, we all lose that capability. But when um, agriculture happened about 10,000 years ago in several places throughout the globe, um, Northern Europeans, um, Eastern Africa, for example, they all developed this uh, cattle farming and then they their gene pool changed you know, accordingly. There is a mutation that happened around the lactase gene locus uh, in our genome that will actually make people uh, being able to digest lacto- uh, lactose, the sugar in milk throughout their adulthood, right? That gives them advantages, uh, advantages over the people who didn't have that, for example, my ancestors. So it's a quite a collision. Now I moved to, to happily and lived in Wisconsin, actually, which is a dairy land of America. <laughs> As you can imagine, that's quite a, a, a irony in a way that, you know, I am uh, lactose intolerant, but I'm uh, attempted by so many um, you know, delicious food that has the lactose in there. So I have to be really selective if I want to be healthy. So. so
2: when you talk about genetic history and um, the ancestry, we're talking about a couple of different things. We're talking about the geography of where your family and actual people come from because geography uh, is determining a lot of what types of food products are available, at least a long time ago. Um, you know, modern day today, we have, you know, a global a global food system and, you know, people in different parts of the world are eating the same foods grown in different parts of the world because they're shipped all over the place. So um, maybe it's a little bit less, beca- you know, I would ask the question, is geography becoming less consequential um, from a DNA point of view, just because we have so much globalization in our consumer foods. But in in the examples that you just gave, you're talking about very specific geographical ancestry of you know the types of places people lived, what food was accessible to them at the time. And then you're also talking about the um, ancestry directly of your family in terms of being tall, being short, being able to you know, have different things or, you know, digest different ways or metabolisms and things like that, a propensity perhaps to have, um, you know, different um, diseases or health issues. At, at, at what point do, how long? I guess, I guess one of my questions is do we have less of a geographical factor now because so much of the world has become homogenized? And then I guess my second question is, um, You know, you talk about ancestry of, you know, something that's 10,000 years ago, or you talk about the advent of, you know, agriculture, and these are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. How long does it take for uh, a DNA to change? How long does it take for something to mutate or develop or grow or to lose something? Um, And are there pieces of the DNA um, that are in existence from, I guess, what you could call the beginning? That's a lot of different questions, I know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 it's always very curious. It's a fascinating topic, isn't it? So, um, yeah, so there's actually uh, a great deal of research showing and studying exactly what you were talking about, you know, like, how long do we change our gene pool, how long do we lose, how long do we precipitate a good or bad mutation? Usually it's good for the time at least. Now, um, uh, time may change. So, you know, we our genes are all wired up for better survival, right? We're very good at preserving the little m- amount of energy left in, you know, a miniscule amount of foods and so on or in our body, so we don't burn the fats so quickly and we store them up as as much as we, or as soon as we have them, right? But fast forward today, everybody is facing so much abundance of energy uh, and also the sedentary lifestyle. It's kind of the opposite of our gene pool was spent so much time evolved into, right? So it's kind of doing our... Uh, not a favor, but doing us harm in, in some cases. So that's kind of the evolution of time, you know, and our gene and interactions between, between them kind of give us. So um, I want to kind of come back to uh, one point from your question is, um, you know, how many years will, will, will a gene will evolve uh, studies have shown that it usually it depends on the population. So there's a fascinating calculation based on you know using genomic sequencing technology now, uh, uh, showing that uh, you know we walked out of Africa 50,000 years ago, right? And um, at that time, the the whole human population was estimated to be a quarter million and then fast forward to about 3000 years ago so where you know all the culture and started the civilization of modern time um, our population 3000 years ago uh, was grown to 60 million so from the quarter million to 60 million that's even 60 million is not a whole lot compared to today's billions of people but you know that's a big rise right the reason is uh is because the event we just talk about agriculture happened so the the agriculture changed the how the the velocity if you may of human population grow and develop and evolve. And because of that, um think about mutation of our genomic DNA is really, really a, a random event. It's it's an accident. Um, when something happens it's just because we have 3.2 billion of them. Mutation will happen when the cell divides and, and grows. And most of them are not going to survive. They just die out because usually there is a bad mutation, doesn't do anything or bad things. But once a while, the, a good mutation happens to happen. For example, the one that makes Northern European able to digest milk sugar, the, lactate, the lactase gene. Uh, when that does, it takes, it doesn't happen just in that lifetime. It will precipitate. It will take usually, you know, thousands of generations when your population density is low, right? So if it's, you know, when we just started off like tens of thousand years ago, it takes forever to have a good mutation precipitate. But as you probably hope I paint a picture, right? That, you know, because of agriculture, we kind of have this explosion of a human density, human population density. Now, instead of having a mutation stay in the gene pool after hundreds of generations, now it's only take tens of generations. For example, it still take many many years, right? Uh, hundreds of years, but it's the gene, the mutation will stay now. And then imagine the power. Now we know thirty percent of everybody in, on, uh, on planet Earth can digest like, uh, lactose. So that's one, what, two billion people, right? That's from one single mutation long time ago. Who knows who, who, is, <clears throat> excuse me, who is the first one? But that's the power of a very favorable mutation. And that's just one example. You know, yeah. we kind of apply these rules to uh, better our survival and throughout the, the human evolution history. So it's a question of being able,
2: the, the speed at which the genes and the DNA can iterate the new version. And if you have just a hundred people, it's going to take a lot longer. If you have a hundred thousand people, then it's iterating through, you know, cycling through faster and faster. So, I mean, fast being maybe tens of thousands instead of hundreds of thousands. Um, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, we're going to get to, Um, the specificity of DNA in your body and how that works and how you can eat to uh, better adapt to your health or not. Um, But first, we're going to find out who is underwriting this episode. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? We are kind of like public radio. We keep the lights on and the mics hot based out of the generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you. Grants and companies who support us, like this one. Stay with us.
0: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country the spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at
2: robertaspizza.com. We are talking about your DNA and how that can impact your diet and your body and your health. Joining us today on Episode 238 of TechBytes is Sherry Zhang, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Genopallet. We spent the first half of the show talking about kind of human genetics and human DNA and how that works and how long it takes to evolve and, and what it controls. And it turns out your DNA controls quite a bit in your body, uh, whether you realize it or not. Some of the things we can readily see your eyes, the size of your feet, how tall you are. We would never really think about being able to change those things based on our diet or what we ate or intermittent fasting or being keto. But for some reason, in modern times, we all believe that we can change parts of the physical appearance that we have. And we also believe that we can change our health and how we feel and our energy through what we eat. And there's a part of that that is very true. And there's a part of it that's a little bit of, you know, hocus pocus gym and diet science. What Palette does is they take a DNA test, either one that they do at the company or if you've done a DNA test with some of the other um, DNA testing services, and then they analyze that and create a report for you Um, which specifically will tell you about how to optimize what you eat based on your specific molecular biology and nutrition science. So Sherry, tell us a little bit about um, how you analyze uh, a person's DNA and specifically then what types of information that gives you and then how it tracks to um, what you suggest that they eat, don't eat, and those types of things. And then after we talk about that, we're going to get into, um, on a DNA and genetic level, how, how, um, valid or not valid some of these, uh, super popular eating styles and diets are. (laughs) But first for Palette, I take a DNA test, I send it to you. Um, what kind of information do you analyze and what do I get back?
1: Absolutely. So, um, between you and me, we have about three million letters that are uh, just naturally to be different. Those are the mutations we discussed earlier throughout our evolution. Um, whatever give your ancestors or mine the, the uh, advantages for survival, that will that will stay. And then some of the mutations, we still scientists still uh, trying to figure out their um, functions and why they exist and whatnot. Um, but for thousands of them, some are for cancer disease and some are for Alzheimer's and so on and so forth that we have characterized their, you know, the, the features of the genomic. Um, there's a, uh, about uh, several hundreds of them are particularly related to how we interact with the foods. Um, uh, and then how we you know digest and absorb and metabolize, distribute, um, dispose all the different nutrients and toxins that we absorb, absorb from or what we ingest from the food we're eating. that will cause different uh, outcomes based on different capacity, um, you know that we can measure uh, in your genomic blueprint for nutrition. So that's really the basic uh, or the foundation for what how we uh, measure something called we call it nutrigenomics. Uh We use the biomarkers; those are the naturally happened uh, polymorphism we call SNPs. It stands for single nucleotide polymorphisms. So you and I had three million of those if you compare yours versus mine. Um, using those over, uh, uh, we use over a hundred well. Characterized um, evidence-based, you know, from clinical clinical trials and studies that have impact, and also um, published in peer, peer-reviewed um, papers. So we uh, use those to type everybody's um, nutrition blueprint in the DNA, identify um, what kind of micronutrients, fatty acids, sugar, fiber, carbs that a particular person's genotype uh, um, is most agreeable with and match that with our, uh, we made our own genetic-based nutrition food database. What that does is, for example, if you look at kiwi fruit, uh, we analyze all the nutrient profile of kiwi based on um, you know, available knowledge and match that with a person's particular nutrient needs based on DNA. And then we do that over and over again for every single nutrient and every single foods in our database. Um, match that with very unique combination of a genotype for each customer. So that's kind of uh, the basis for identifying the optimal foods um, that people can take to their grocery shopping, uh, or you know, sit down in their favorite restaurant and order their foods from the menu, knowing what kind of decision and is might be give them more um, a better optimal outcome for for health for later.
2: So something that we talked about earlier in the show is the ability to be able to digest uh, lactate, which is the sugar in in milk and dairy, um, a person could not know that they might not be able to do that. And so this test would reveal that to them, for example, as an example of, of a trait that it would reveal something that maybe you should or should not be eating.
1: Yeah. Lactose is a kind of some people like myself, right? That's my, my own, in my own case, I knew, uh, I'm going to have certain level or some symptoms when I ingest a lot of milk, but it's never for certain. Um, cause you kind of want to, this is where you don't have evidence. You kind of want, cause you have a preference. My preference is I can digest it because it's so delicious, right? I like cheesecake. I like an, all the dairy foods. So I'm kind of telling myself um, maybe I'm okay. Maybe I have knowing the genetics, and maybe I have the you know one allele. One there's two copies, one from mother, one from father. Maybe I have one copy from. Well, my parents make me uh, agreeable, or tolerant of that, and so it's kind of a hidden miss, kind of a guessing game all the time. Until really when I established Genopilot you know, um, Company and we had the first product, I usually test. My own product first before I offer it to anybody else, and I tested. Sure enough, I have two copies of intolerance, um, that which is the wild type, you know, the ancient uh, genotype. And then later, I uh, my my son also have all the ancestry uh, from the from Asia. So we um, tested him, and he also have lactose intolerance. So that really helped us to navigate our you know food landscape as you. Uh, mentioned in the earlier um, in the show that there's so many uh, food choices we have to make. Right, research has shown each person have to make more than 220 some decisions around food and eating every day. Um, so that is really helpful. And and for things like zinc, for example, we have markers for identifying um, your capacity of that di- metabolize zinc and, and um, kind of absorption and it's a pretty co- complex system, but uh, you wouldn't, you will never know, right? For lactose, you maybe still have some le- uh, symptoms when you ingest that food, um, but you will never be able to detect such uh, nutrients in the foods like zinc or vitamin E. So
2: Specific, um, I'll call them ingredients or foods or vitamins, minerals. Um, You can detect a body's ability to digest it, absorb it or not. Um, explain to us a little bit about how the metabolizing and metabolism part of it. Metabolism is something that we hear a lot about in the nutrition and diet and sports world. Some people have a high metabolism and they can eat whatever they want is something that we hear very commonly. Um, I have a slow metabolism, so I'm going to gain weight all the time. Um, We also talk about, you know, can you uh, change your metabolism by, you know, exercising a lot or intermittent fasting? Um, Again, something that we think that we can manipulate based on behavior and and what we eat. Um, My guess would be that the general public, um, most people don't have a good idea of exactly what metabolism is. (laughs) So maybe you can... um, Explain that to us and then explain how, you know, the test reveals how you metabolize food and then how that results in in impacting your your diet and nutrition.
1: Sure. Um, Metabolism is really a, um, it's a true concept that, you know, research studies and and review and we have knowledge with, but when laymen or, you know, public refer to it, uh, it's not uh, it's not holistic. It's not a comprehensive uh, speaking to everything they meant to say, right? When you say, um, you know, burn energy, um, performance, obesity, diabetes, right? It's uh, capture a lot of processes in our body, physiology and, and disease pathways and, and so on. Everything has a genomic foundation, obviously. So it what I meant to say is it's a very complex concept. Um, So when we refer to that from scientific point of view, metabolism is really kind of catch it all term um, to um, try to indicate the process that happens in our body from the the point of time that you, you interact with the foods from smell to look at it, right? Because it's interact with your brain already. You choose it, you ingest it, and then your saliva already have enzyme to digest the carbohydrate side of it. And then you're going down to digestive system and, and then the cells start to pull um, separate new nutrients from toxins and and then get into your bloodstream, right? So it's and then back to your brain and fueling all your organs with the energy or nutrients that you need and then the your liver is kind of your garbage disposal right and it will take all the toxins and and usually will get rid of that for you and a kidney will filter other toxins and usually soluble in the water. So um, th- this is only just uh, uh, we're just scratch the surface as I describe it. So I hope that paint a picture that is really complex. It's really very involving, involve everything, every machineries, uh, every cells in your body. And we estimated we probably talking about to make the whole body works. Um, you know, to do with metabolism, we talk about f- thousands of genes are happening at the same time, right? Different speed and different doing different jobs. But um, it's a, it's like a New York subway, right? There's a different lines and going different directions. But they all have a master plan. The master plan all rooted from the geno- genomic DNA, and then from there they know what genes to be turned on, turned off at what time, uh, in what organ, in any tissue, right? Your brain has different set of genes. Well, when you you know see a food, you respond with that and deal with your you know olfactory and smelling and taste and. And your digestive system has a whole a different set of genes and I'm going to turn on and off. So that's why the molecular biology that I was studying uh, was, was very helpful, right? They get to the bottom of everything. And when you look at the, at the molecular level, it's quite elegantly simple in a way. They, they, the cells ju- use uh, you know, certain ways of process all the signals, receive it, and then have a way to trigger different molecular events and lead up to it's like a always like a cascade. And there's a master genes will receive all the signals, make all the decisions, and then they will triage those signals into different pathways. And then the you know the downstream and all the way to the executors and to the kind of bottom of the chain uh, of soldiers will do the job. Right. So that's, it's actually in a way it's elegantly simple. That's why I, I like it because I, we can use it, you know a uh, kind of universally applicable tool like genomic DNA to really answer big complex questions like obesity. And metabolic syndrome. I hope this helps a well, little bit.
2: Well, <laughs> it, it does in the sense that it's much more complex than um, I burn twelve hundred calories a day, or 2,500 uh, 2, calories a day, or um, if I exercise a lot, my metabolism will be high, and I can burn you know more fuel, um, and I can manipulate it in an easy way. I mean, I I think that. One of my big takeaways after this conversation is um, manipulating my my body, um, how it looks, and my nutrition and my health is is not as easy to manipulate as I think it is, because there are so many of these processes that are predetermined. Um, my question to you is, um, and I know it's a it's a difficult one to just sort of answer generally. Um, so in terms of, you know, people being able to think they can manipulate their health and how their body looks, their weight, um, you know, are they muscle, are they tone, are they lean, I'm going to get healthy, I'm going to cure myself. Um, what about, you know, there are many diets that are, you know, you're counting calories, um, you're eating sort of a, a, a what I'll call a, you know, a well-rounded diet of all of, you know, carbs and fats and proteins all together, well-balanced. Well, yeah, I'm going to say well-balanced just (laughs) generically. Um, And how we define well-balanced is is going to be a little bit different from person to person. But from this DNA and genetic point of view, um, how do the really um, more extreme um, eating style diets look when you look at them through the lens of DNA and genetics? How does something like a, a ketogenic diet look where you're reducing almost all the carbohydrates that your body eats or an intermittent fasting where maybe you're only eating, you know, in a window of six hours a day or, um, you know, uh, elimination diets where you're eliminating, you know, groups of foods. H- how do those look through the DNA lens? Are they going to accomplish something? Um, is it just a short term um, because your body's just going to fight to go back to whatever it's programmed to do? Um, because from our earlier conversation, um, it seems like it takes thousands of years for your body to, for the genetics and the DNA to actually change. So it's, it's not going to happen in a generation and it's certainly probably not going to happen in the course of the lifetime of a person's body.
1: Right. Your, your genes don't change when they change. It's, uh, usually the cancer, uh, cancerous, right? So, yeah, it's a, a lot of good points there. I'm trying to answer the main ones. And I think um each person in my, you know, after all these years studying um obesity, studying DNA, studying health, I truly believe everybody needs to have a personalized nutrition strategy. You don't have to. Take all the way to biometrics, knowing all the genomic microbiome. All these, uh, I think this will be very helpful if you do. But but everybody can benefit from a better personalized strategy because that's the when people don't have that, you are blindly tackling you and your food environment and the interactions between the two. That's simply put, right? So when um, You know, uh, different people burn differently, different people have, uh, we recognize there's a lot of uh, transient or sometimes sustained successes in different people when they try keto, when they try low-carb, when they try high-carb, right, all these kind of uh, dietary, um, you know, practices. Um, But we will argue from the scientific evidence um, point of view that everybody, you you are born with a certain blueprint, right, genetically. And on top of that, it's not just the genetic uh, variants and determine some, we we just talked about it It doesn't change, but what it really changed is it would turn genes on and off in certain uh, interaction with um, certain triggers, right? So when you have ambient of iron, for example, you know, for genotype, there's a certain genotype from Celtics gene pool that they will absorb four times more than other people do. And at the end, you're going to accumulate out more more iron than you can digest and become could be lethal for the life. So it's all about what you are born with as a predisposition and it determines how susceptible you are For certain conditions, when you eat right or wrong. Um, That's really how I look at it today. So, that um, talks about
2: the process in your body and and having everything in balance. Um, But your DNA and your genome doesn't really look at um, how you look in a swimsuit or if you can fit into a pair of jeans from high school or (laughs) any of those. you know, things that we seem to be uh, preoccupied
1: with today in in modern times. Um, Yeah, I I really think that, you know, the personalized nutrition strategy informed by DNA, for example, at the foundation, we talk about 30% is genetically determined for your health, right? So knowing that you will reveal uh, more opportunities So that when you interact with certain foods and drinks and, you know, exercise and the combination of those, you will have better chance of have optimal health versus unhealthy. So that's really, uh, I think, tools like uh, nutrigenomics and other um, personalization can do for each person.
2: Such an interesting idea, and it's definitely something to think about in terms of what we can control and 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 what we can't, and the different processes that are happening under the hood that we may not even be aware of. I have one quick question, and and I, I it, it's not necessarily a quick question that you can answer in just a minute or two, um, but just out of you know the the. The policy or the point of view that you have at Genome Palette, you know, there is a, a contingent of uh, people and the public who are worried about DNA testing and are worried about, um, you know, a, a potential privacy issue of this is my, this is my personal DNA and it's in a database now and it's in a company and, and they have that and it's someplace. And once your information is in a database somewhere, that means someone else could get it. Um what, what are your thoughts about personal privacy and then what are your thoughts about um, if someone had my DNA, is it really useful to them in, in, in any way? Anyway, I mean, it's very different from having a bank account information, for example, where another person, if they had that information, could potentially benefit by, you know, having money. Um, I, I don't think another person would benefit from having my DNA information, <laughs> mm-hmm. But just you know, just to close it off, um, you know, what are your thoughts about that for the company yeah, and personally? It's
1: a, for sure, it's a great question. It's a big question for the field I'm in, and for everybody, for for the from the house public house point of view. I, as a person, as a researcher, also as a CEO of this nutrigenomics company, I th- I think we're in the early stage of really formulating the best practice of dealing with very private this is probably the most private information you could ever have right that's your dna that's how i see it so um, but as a you know practitioner right taking the Genopilot as a practitioner we our interest is to help each person to eat healthy be healthy and be be, be happy Using DNA as a, one of the tools, and we also have other tools and data science, and you know, and so on. Um, we want to make sure that is kept safe, and there's a, a, a we invest from from early on with my background and processes, technologies, talent, um, systems to ensure. The, the high you know, standard of that and, and also go above and beyond. We go beyond, you know, uh, the industry practice because we value, my DNA is out there, right? It's in our database and so is every other customers. We, uh, we treat them as our own. I think with that kind of attitude, organizations, whether for-profit or non-for-profit, will we'll probably do the right thing to guard, to be the guardian for that. And, you know, there's a lot of debate of, you know, people will be able to get access to other people's DNA and, and you know, kind of interfere with the privacy. I think it, it's really come down to what are the processes you have in place to to guard that. And, for example, just one, one thing we do very d- diligently is to de-identify our information uh, from the customer. So the, you know, your, uh, uh, you know, PHI, the personal house uh, information will be de-identified from your uh, your personal, personal information, like email or address or name, right? We kind of separate them first, right? After we got them. And so at the lab, our lab pe- personnel will never know whose DNA this is from. They just treat them as a, you know, we call it a barcode, And that, you know, processes like that will guarantee or ensure the privacy of each customer.
2: Well, with new technology, we have new ideas and new opportunity. And then inevitably, we also think about how we need to regulate them. And I do think that personalizing or protecting uh, your biological information is going to be something that we're going to be hearing more and more about, not necessarily um, in the arena of a company like Palette, but um, certainly in the arena in the arena of um, the vaccine passports that, you know, um, countries and states and people are talking about in terms of, you know, entering a database and, you know, entering your history in terms of, um, you know, the COVID-19 vaccination and, and some people um, like it. Some people are worried about it. Some people think it's not a great idea. So, I mean, that's a discussion that's happening now, which will probably um you know, incorporate some of the other biological information, you know, that's out there. I want to thank Sherry Zhang, founder and CEO of Genopallet for coming on the show and, and talking to us. This really was a, a tech episode, um, really getting into some of the details of human genetics if you are interested in taking a look at Geno Palette, they are g e n o palette, p a l a t e.com. You can find them on social media at Geno Palette. TechBytes is produced and hosted by me, Jennifer Leutzi. Our engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song, Nomada CPU Track, was produced and given to us very generously by DJ Uptown Nico. You can find us on the Heritage Radio Network platform. That's heritageradionetwork.org. We are available in 150 countries on your favorite podcasting platform. We have been making food radio for more than 10 years, and probably have the world's largest database of food-focused podcasts. If you like the show, come back and see us next week. If you love it, subscribe to it on your favorite platform and leave us an amazing review. If you think it's really an important thing to have in the world, and these are conversations we need to have, listen to, and preserve, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and make a donation maybe, you know what you were going to spend on um, your food intake today. This was a really interesting show about dieting and about health and about nutrition. It's always good to talk to your doctor about your own personal health before you make decisions to do these types of things. Um, always good to consult with someone before you decide to make any decisions. Um, these shows are informational um, to sort of start conversations, but not necessarily a roadmap of exactly what you should do. I am Jennifer Liuzzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Thanks for listening. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you, Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please...